Welcome to the AI Asia Pacific Institute podcast. The rise of AI presents important legal and ethical challenges for society. In this podcast, we invite leaders from different industries and creators of new AI to debate the big questions. This is the AI Asia Pacific Institute podcast. Double Academy Award winner Dr. Mark Sager is the CEO and co-founder of Soul Machines and director of the Laboratory of Animate Technologies at the Auckland Bioengineering Institute. Mark has a PhD in engineering from the University of Auckland and was a postdoctoral fellow at MIT. He has previously worked as the special projects supervisor at Weta Digital and Sony Pictures Imageworks and developed technology for the digital characters in blockbusters such as Avatar, King Kong, and Spider-Man 2. His pioneering work in computer-generated faces was recognized with two consecutive scientific and engineering Oscars in 2010 and 2011. And Mark was elected as a Fellow of the Royal Society in 2019 in recognition of his world-leading research. Mark is responsible for driving the technology vision of Soul Machines and sits on the Board of Directors. With you now, our host for this podcast, Kelly Forbes. Hello, Mark, and welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm very excited about this conversation. I first came across your fascinating work with Baby X on the documentary, We Need to Talk About AI. And Leanne, one of the directors, um, she was part of the podcast here for a discussion. So um, yeah, very exciting to have you here to share with us uh, the history of Baby X, how it all started. Um, you know, your work is, um, was famous through Avatar and, and King Kong. So how did that lead you to Baby X? And yeah, if you wanted to start giving us some background there. Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long, long journey. I think I, I first got interested in, the, in um, I guess, the, the question of, of, of is a machine able to be intelligent uh, reading um, Douglas Hofstadler's uh, Gerdelesha Bark. And I think I read that when I was around, you know, something like 21 years old. Or, and, and it really sort of opened my mind and, and got me thinking about the nature of, of consciousness itself. And, you know, one of the things there was, does it depend on what the substrate is? Do you have to have a, you know, a brain made out of, um, you know, nerve cells and, you know, um, human tissue in order to be able to um, you know think like we do and and so so or is it possible to do this on a computer is it more about the nature of the processing you know the patterns of information how do, how do all these things emerge anyway that was something which I you know mused I've always mused over that and I've had a you know long-term interest in in neuroscience and and cognition in general and also um uh, in physiology, and so, but I've also had an art background as well. So, um, I ended up for my PhD, kind of combining the physiology and the art components by building sort of computer graphics to represent physiological models. So there'd be mathematical models of of physiology, like for example, um, the mechanics of the eye or the or the um, beating of the heart, but then making those into three dimensional models and so it was uh, the interest there was really how do you combine um, the mathematics and physical modeling with with basically computer graphics and anyway that that ended up leading to a, a career making um, digital faces because the face is another piece of anatomy in a way but it's an incredibly special piece of anatomy because it's our interface to the world and it's it's basically the mirror of the brain. So everything that's happening on the face is reflecting, you know, what's going on inside 
But at the same way, we are connecting with the outside world through our face. We're, everything we're expressing, this is how the us comes out. And, and so um, anyway, after, after this, I ended up in the, the film industry. Um, oh, so I was in a company where we were making um, digital humans. Um, and also, actually, I'm getting the orders wrong. Yeah, so first thing we're doing, we're looking at making, um, trying to make uh, digital humans that looked real for film. So we made a couple of short films. Um, this is at a company called Pacific Tidal Mirage and, and Life Effects. And we made a, a um, short film about a jester, which was the, um, I think it was one of the very first um, realistic humans, which was synthetically generated, put to film. And then a year later, we put out another movie called Young at Heart, which was we digitally aged this character. And this is about 10 years before the movie Benjamin Button. But what was kind of interesting in that movie was that we took this young woman and we made her 80. And when we filmed her, we started, you know, the actions that she was doing were very introspective actions because it was about how do you believe, how do you transcend that this is an artifice and start thinking about the thinking of that character. And so um, with this, it's, I knew we were getting somewhere when you saw it and you, just, you, you didn't think about anything else. You just thought about the person. I wasn't, I wasn't a real person, but that, that was that, that point. Now, this was for film. We then um, started making these, this is like 20 something years ago, started making these characters being able to run on the internet. And we, we, um, I read at the time Ray Kurzweil's book, The Age of Spiritual Machines. And um, I think he actually ended up being on our board of directors for a while. So it was, uh, and we, we ended, I think we made a female version of him called Ramona. Anyway, um, so that was a, that's another story. But the, all of this, um, I, I guess, uh, then at that particular time, there was the stock market crash. This is in the sort of early 2000. And, and so, um, you know, all of the opportunities there, you know, sort of came to a stop. And I went back into the film industry at that point and um, started working on um, capturing, you know, doing more capture of the behavior of actors, like really trying to capture the performance. The thing that I was most interested in was how do you capture a, a sense of consciousness, a sense of like, how, do you, how can you tell that this is a sentient character? Like what is it that you have to pick up from somebody that conveys the essence of you know, what they feel and what they think? Because if you can communicate that to the audience, then you're, you're making that emotional connection. Now, of course, animators do this all the time. So animators think for the character and you know, want to do that. And the thing I was really interested in is, well, what if we can make a character think for itself? What do we have to do to actually do animation for real where the model can, can basically have its own thoughts and its own emotions? Anyway, so I'll come back to that a little bit more later. When I was working at um, Weta Digital on, on King Kong and Avatar, a lot of that was how do you capture what the actor, like in this case it was Andy Serkis, that sense of soul that he's putting into the character and have that come across on a non-speaking character. You're just looking at it, the King Kong's eyes, for example, but you're feeling what's going on. And, and I, the point there was like, okay, well, the face is an instrument and the actor is composing the music for that instrument. And this is coming a, a, across. And it's like, with all the work that I've been doing was really how to create the instrument, but it wasn't creating the composer of that, that music that's coming across on the face. And that was the fascinating part is, is, you know, how do you build the inner world that is creating these expressions coming out? Now in the film industry, an actor's doing all that for you. So, and, and, you know, they're telling a story. And when I started thinking about, um, you know, the, the thing about film though is it's, it's, it's a, you know, two hours or something like that and it's a fixed story and, you know, it's amazing what can be done, but it's a one-time journey. And if you create interactive things, it starts becoming infinite, what, what can be done. 
And, and so I was thinking, of, and I was also following, um, you know, artificial intelligence at the time and, and looking at the, you know, the speed of processes and all these types of things. And I realized um, towards the end of my time at Weta that, I, that basically we're at a point where we could bring all these things together. We could take the advanced computer graphics we could take all the advanced stuff being done with neural networks at the time. We can, we can, um, you know, and a lot of these other ideas and we can pull all this together to actually, you know, build a sort of digital being or, or, or bring technology to life in a, in a simulated sense. And, and so I, um, you know, I was, I was so uh, taken with, you know, that idea that I, I started a lab at the, uh, at the university um, in order to to do this, and then I was thinking, well, what's the first model that we should build? Um, you know, uh, what's the most appropriate model? And then I happened to have a, a, a very young daughter at the time, and so you know, she was taking a lot of my time and thoughts and so forth. So I thought, oh, I can combine all of this. And um, it, <laughs> anyway, so I built a three-dimensional scanner at home, and when she was asleep in her, um, in her uh, you know, rocking, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but basically this, this thing, I managed to scan her and, and be able to um, you know, build essentially a, a 3D model of her. And, and then at the same time, we were saying to build these brain models. And so these, these, you know, the real human brain is ridiculously complicated. So what we're looking at is, you know, radical simplification of, of, some of those things and there's so much which is not known but there are a lot of things which are known and and there's interesting components which can start you can start putting them together so we started building like a uh, a model of the visual system and then we started building models of of the emotional systems and things like that and putting them together again they're all simplifications of the real thing but what the the goal of the the uh project was to really bring together a lot of the elements that make um, you know us human and have them all interact together so these are these again it's it's like you know these are toy models of each component but what hadn't been done before was the pulling together of all of the you know and it, it's not all of the things it's just but a lot of the fundamental things like for example we need to see we need to hear we need to feel touch um, you know, we need to express, we have to have uh, motivations, we have to learn all of these different aspects. And so we're building sort of these simple models of these, these components, but trying to put them together and then drive the animation of the baby model from the inside out. Because typically an animator will animate something and, and, and then they'll, they'll drive that, whereas this was building the model so it self-animates. And, and that was the sort of start of that, that project and, you know, it's still going. So uh, anyway. <laughs> fascinating, fascinating. Um, when I was doing some research in this work, I came across a quote from one of the professors uh, from the University of California. And he says um, that um, this will do something that nobody had dreamed of. Um, and so... Um, as I understood from the documentary, one of the goals with this project was for you to achieve AGI and for the people um, that uh, wanted to understand AGI is um, artificial general intelligence, right? So it's when uh, a machine will reach the intelligence of um, a human being. And you can probably explain this better than I can. Uh, but uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, um, so I guess... I think, you know, like AI, the term AGI can be taken in lots of different ways. Like uh, for some people, it's making a incredibly clever black box, which can learn to learn. It can adapt to whatever is coming, is put into it. And um, which is, which is a, a, a general intelligence. It's, it's, it's able to solve, you know, it can play chess, but then it can also learn a language. And it can do all these things. So this is the general intelligence that humans have. You know, we can learn to play tennis. We can, we can make a cup of coffee. We can learn a language. And we can jump between all of these. And we can 
enjoy social relationships. So we're, we're, we're taking into account all these different things coming at us. And so this is one of the fundamental things, you know, is, is humans are so holistic. There is so much going on that in the world that we can adapt to and respond to. And this is, this is for me is the real general part of the general intelligence is that we live in a social world. So we have to be socially intelligent. Um, we live in a physical world, so we have to understand, you know, sensory motor perception, sensory motor action, and, and learning. Um, we we have we have long lives, so we have to have long memories. We have to learn to adapt. Um, we, you know, all these different things. Um, we have to, you know, and we've got, um, you know ancient intelligence that we share with animals of just just basic survival and and so all of these um all of these factors come together in in humans but and and it's all happening constantly and and we're able to you know adapt to very complex situations and resolve them but critically where we can cooperate with other people and this is where our minds can create models of other people's minds and we can achieve shared goals. So all of the intel, so, so the thing which I guess we're really focused on is, is what level of intelligence does it take in order to cooperate? Because if you can cooperate, you can achieve so much. So, so human cooperation is the most powerful force in human history. Now, and, human and it's what makes us different, different from other beings in the planet, right? Exactly. And so, so, you know, you think about what the unbelievable things humans have achieved, you know, um, putting a person on the moon, um, what we've done with medicine, you know, quantum physics, all of these things, no one person would have any chance of doing that. And it takes these, these mass sort of collaborations and cooperations, but even at a very simple level, um, you know, uh, somebody holding a ladder for somebody else to climb up so they don't fall down. There's all of this going on. And in, but it starts off incredibly young. So cooperation starts off when we're babies and it's our parents or caregivers are, are basically working with us and they're helping and guiding us through the world. They'll be telling us, no, don't touch that. Or, or, um, or you know, this is good or this is a word or don't eat that. And, you know, th all of this is... And also when we might be upset at something, you know, they may be consoling us saying, that's okay, don't, don't worry. Or, or, you know, telling us off if we do something naughty. All of these things are part of a socialization and, and social learning, what's called social learning. It's learning through interactions with others. And so one of the core elements, now um, I was inspired uh, you know, in this area, there's a whole um, you know area called social robotics, which was um, really, um, I guess, started at MIT, uh, where they I, where they did some fantastic experiments with these sort of social robots um, interacting with children, and I found that really inspirational. Um, and and so, but you know, the the general intelligence part has to account for all these different factors. Now, the, I guess the area that interests me is. So if human cooperation is the most powerful force in history, then human cooperation with intelligent machines will actually define the next era of history. Because what we will be able to achieve with machines that can know so much more than us, that can process things so much faster than us, will be truly incredible. And, but how do, we, how do we connect with those machines? Like how do we do that in a way which is acceptable to us as humans, because it has to work for humans. It has to fit into our culture. So the machines in a way have to be socialized because otherwise humanity will reject them. If we have a black box, a dystopian type of black box, you know, out there where, where and, it's, and it's giving, telling us what to do and do things, people won't accept that. And interestingly, we're actually kind of creating some of these dystopian things at the moment. So if you think about, you know, um, the, the, the voice assistants that people have in their homes, you know, these are black cylinders and you don't know what they're doing, what they're listening to. It, it's a, it's a asymmetric relationship and it's very much like hell out of 2001 
we've actually created that with these things where you don't have a reciprocal relationship. Now, in a, in a human relationship, I'm, I'm sure you've had a video conference where somebody's got their camera turned off and somebody's got their camera turned on. Yeah, it's a horrible feeling. It's a horrible <laughs> and this is, But this is exactly what we've created. And so the key thing here, and there's a, even a, a concept in economics, you know, information asymmetry. So the best functioning economies have, have a symmetricality of information. And it's like the, because when we have a, a, a human interaction, we expect, you know, if I disclose something, then you'll disclose something and back and forth. And then we actually build up trust. And, and for us to trust machines, we have to have this openness and this awareness. And this is where the humanization of these components, you know, starts um, really mattering because it's like, it's, it's like, if, you know, for example, we're having a meeting. Oh, why did you say that? What did you mean by that? You should be able to explain yourself. And also you should be able to communicate in natural ways that if you're not sure about something, you may be shrugging your shoulders. You may be whatever. And it, it, because you've got incomplete information, but you're conveying that. And, and, you know, we're really looking at these, you know, signs like say, if we look at um, typical communication, like that we're used to now, um, you know, we might send a text message. And this is a not expecting, this is a, the feedback for a text message can be quite a long time. If it's important, we'll phone and we'll have a voice to voice conversation. If it's really important, we'll have a face to face meeting because what we're doing is we're amplifying the channels of communication so that we can reach an understanding and not pick up the wrong signals. So, you know, everybody's probably had the experience when they send a text message and it's been misinterpreted or it could be an email. And, and, and it's like the language, the tone of whatever it's saying is, is read wrong and the person reacts wrong. Whereas if you're saying that in person and you might be smiling saying that then they get that your intent is actually positive or whatever. And it's like, so these are the things where, um, the, the more humanized you make the transmission of the information, the, the, the more understandable and intuitive it is to use. So if you have intelligent machines which can communicate in these human-like ways, we end up with much more intuitive, you know, powerful interactions. And, you know, we, we can also look at the, you know, the science fiction movies and things to, to get an idea of how these things can end up. We can have a Terminator, we can have a Terminator movie, you know, evil robots and things, or we can have something like C-3PO off Star Wars or, or Data off Star Trek. And these are, and, or Mark, my, you know, one of my absolute favorites, Marvin, the paranoid android out of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, that was another one of my influences. So, so it's like the, the um, in that you have, you have this depiction of us coexisting with these intelligent machines, but it's a very social relationship and they're just part of, they're just like having a really smart person in the room or something like that. And that's a sort of, you know, th this is a, a utopian type of, of view of that. You could have a very dystopian version of all this with evil robots and so forth. And, but how do we know whether a person is, is good or bad? Well, we, we question them, we watch their actions, we do all these types of things to, to suss them out. And we should be able to suss out machines in the same way. Now, you may have people that are actually, you know, quite manipulative. And actually, these people, um, you know, make a living, they're called politicians. And, um, but you know, they, they, they have a skill in that, because the politicians job in a way is to, is to reflect society, ideally. And, and it's like, there's a, there's a, um, you know, what, what do the people, in an idealized sense, what do the people want and how do we get that across? So it's like a, it's, it's, it's you know, I, I, I think that we're in the same sort of thing. We will have this case with, you know, we will have machines which are, um, have so much more knowledge than, than we're, we, we can be capable of, but we wouldn't want them to control us. We'd want them to advise us and, and, and how we build these conditions. Absolutely. So, so I understand the, the, the perfect goal would be for, and that's what you're aiming for, for this creation is to enable machines to interact with us, making our lives easier and better. But um, how to achieve that 
in a sharing emotion and, and social skills like us humans do. One of the things that um, stand out to me when I was watching Baby X in one of your presentations in the documentary was how people uh, interacted um, with the baby in a way that we humans would look at a baby, right? So it was a very emotional interaction. You know, the baby was crying and the crowd felt deeply emotional about that, right? So um, I would say you're probably um, very close to that um, in a way because you've managed to put this in, inside a baby, right? Um, so one of the most important things, you know, for, for, for people, for, for human relationships is, is, to, is, is emotional co-regulation. Like what, what I mean by that is that we soothe each other, we help each other, we, we, like, we, we help regulate each other. So parents, you know, especially with children, you know, it's the baby's upset, I need to calm the baby down. Or if we're doing a cooperative task and say you're having trouble you know, doing something and I pick up that you're getting frustrated with, you know, maybe trying to, you know, fix something or do whatever, then I can offer to help. And, and you're doing your task, but you're also signaling your state. And what we're, what we're really trying to achieve is, is like an emotional harmony between, between, you know, people. This is what we want out of human relationships. And so, so with with the um, you know emotion in machines is is something where emotion doesn't have to emotion is actually conveying um, difficulty or um, change of goal. Like for example, if you're sad, it's because you may have given up something. Um, if you're frustrated, it's maybe because you can't achieve your goal in some way. So if we're cooperating, we need to pick up these things in order to in order to um, because what we do when we cooperate is we, we take a task and we split it into pieces and different people do different aspects of those pieces, but we're constantly checking in with each other to see what's go going on. Is everybody going okay? Is everybody happy with how we're going? And this is where emotion and expressions and, and communication is so important. And the task may be a very quick task, which means that we need very quick visual updates of what's going on. You know, it could be a longer task like we're building a Saturn V rocket and lots of stuff happens over telegrams or whatever. But uh, a lot of our tasks are real time. And, and so as part of the way we solve problems, we, we are emotionally co-regulating. Um, and I, I think I forgot the first part of your question. <laughs> I, was, I was, I guess, asking how... So we can see that you already have this... In, you know, this connection when it comes to emotion between humans and baby acts. Um, what, what else, where, what else are we, do we have to see in terms of, you know, developing the machine and the interaction? Yeah. So we're, so we are working on um, general cognitive models and what we're trying to, so we have a current project that we're working with a, a, a team of um, developmental psychologists and we're trying to, and we're, we're trying to build a model which can achieve um, uh, several developmental milestones. So this includes, you know, acquisition of certain words. It includes, you know, um, doing ta collaborative tasks, maybe stacking some blocks, um, uh, you know, playing social games, you know, playing games and things like that. Um, uh, uh, a variety of different, different, things which, you know, babies do at, at certain years. And so we're kind of looking at developmental milestones between, you know, um, one, one year to 18 months to, to even up to two years. And for that, we're one, we're, we're, we've been um, doing experiments where we get, and this is, this is with Annette Henderson's group at the, at the University of Auckland. So we've been getting real parents or caregivers and real babies to interact on a shared screen so that they they doing various tasks whether they're playing a game or or teaching or, or whatever and we record that whole interaction and what we're going to do is we're going to replace the real baby with baby x and then have real parents interacting but with a digital baby 
on doing shared tasks, so cooperative tasks. And with that, what we're trying to do is a Turing test for early behavior where we are actually, um, if, if we're able to elicit the same behavior out of the parent with a virtual baby as with a real baby, then it means that our simulation of is, is doing the right thing. So that's how we validate the experiments. And so with that, we can then do a whole bunch of different, um, it becomes a research tool for all kinds of different experiments, which you can't normally do. Like for example, in developmental psychology, you can't control babies, they just totally do their own thing. But if we, if we do things and we play around with, you know, how quickly the baby smiles or where it's looking or, or it becomes, you know, really upset or these different, what does the parent do? How does the parent cope in these different ways and you know in a way babies are doing things and they get overloaded and they cry and they they you know that and the parent has to has to really sort of work with their emotional state they have to pick the right time to teach they have to pick the right time to interact and all of these things are you know are so fundamental that there's a there's a, a there's a harmony or a cadence or you know a, a rhythm in, in how we're interacting in a, in a way which works and so anyway, so what we're doing with the baby X task is, is we're doing, um, so, so there's a shared interaction um, screen and, and the digital baby can interact and so can real parents can interact on the same thing and they can you know, do things like we, we've got a farmyard scene that you can do stuff with and some blocks that you can stack and objects that you can name and this sort of stuff. Um, and anyway, so that, um, that's that's a that's a project underway, and so we're 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 um, and we're also doing some other things where the baby can draw, and and this is to explore creativity in a way. It's like with the with the the baby being able to draw pictures, um, we start looking at some of the creative loop that happens. So you know when a when a human artist is is painting, they'll paint on the canvas but what will happen because of the messiness of the paint and and um you know the what's lost in translation of of the original vision and what comes across on the canvas then creates the next step because then you respond to where the creation is and then you start modifying and you start basically the the the, the artworks evolve and so we want to do the same type of creative loop with Baby X. And um, we're also doing a collaboration with a guy called Simon Ingram who builds um, uh, painting robots. And, and these, these, are robot, these are sort of uh, machines which kind of, you know, uh, create paintings over days in art galleries. But we want to connect those up with Baby X so that then we've got a, a, a real painting on canvas being produced by a painting robot, whereas Baby X is kind of doing finger painting and then we also want to have um, people that come in you know like uh, the observers be able to interact as well and influence what's being done so that's the yeah, that's that's that should be a really fun project so it's, it's a bit tricky to make progress with some of those things with COVID of course so yeah so it's almost like you're raising another child in a way isn't it uh, how you're training and and teaching the baby to learn things well, yeah, we've, we 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 um we keep rebuilding the cognitive architecture, so it's a um a strange relationship, but it's it's quite a fascinating thing, is is that we we are um, uh, you know, figuring out, you know, we're building things and working out, oh well, you know, this piece is missing, or 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 you know, what do we need to achieve this way, and and we're trying to, um, we're doing things in a very Lego-like way that we're we're where we can construct or you know swap pieces out and things like that because it becomes very complex now back to the agi component so what we're really building is artificial nervous systems and and we're working out how to connect all these different components because in our other work that we do with um you know we've been building uh commercial um, digital humans and, and these ones uh, like can be spokespeople, they can be a healthcare assistant, they could be a, a tutor. So all of these, these models, um, 
they they can work with natural language processing and things like that and they're more they're more sort of designed to be used for particular things they're not like learning from scratch like baby x however um what we're trying to pull together with all of these is we're is is we can pull together different language models we can pull together different vision models we can build all these components and put them together and really figure out the orchestration because the orchestration of how um you know, we do things naturally as humans is incredible. And that's a huge part of our general intelligence is that we can swap tasks and do all kinds of things and we can integrate things. You know, we could juggle while riding a bicycle, you know, and while having a conversation. We can do all of these things at once. And, and these are, you know, like if we can make a, a, a machine capable of, of swapping tasks and being able to relate to a person at one moment and then do a task at another and fluidly go in and out of those things, you know, this starts becoming a better cooperative partner. Yeah. Um, so one of the things you mentioned there was about control, right? Um, and I think um, this is one of the biggest concerns uh, from I would say probably half of people in the industry, you know, you, you were part of the documentary where the big question was, you know, um, you know, that we need to have this conversation about artificial intelligence, what could go wrong, uh, you know, is AGI possible? And, you know, no one really can give a clear answer to that yet. According to the documentary, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, different perspectives there. Um, you know, when you're mentioning about control there, you know, I, I have a child who um, is pretty much controlling us already, a three-year-old. So when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, artificial intelligence baby, how do we ensure that it's going to do what we want? <laughs> well, that's the thing is that, yeah, it is a baby, so there's no guarantees. Um, but it, it does have an off switch, at least, where real babies don't. So um, <laughs> that's, that's the... So, I would love to have that. <laughs> that's the one thing parents... Yeah, you put them on. Just pause for a moment. Yeah. Um, so, well, one of, one of the things is we, you know, we are looking into models of, of you know, how do we regulate? So that's one, one area, which is, you know, and how do we better interact with each other emotionally as humans and in, in, in those ways is like to achieve that harmony now um anyway but in terms of um control i mean one of the key things with baby x is is really looking at 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 you know an autonomous model so it, you know um you know, baby x would do its own thing um however all of the i guess if the controllable all of that is completely accessible and so you can you can effectively at any point um, control what's going on in the digital brain. So it's a digital brain and you can, you know, you can, you can, you know, turn things off and on, you can adjust, you know, it's got virtual um, neurotransmitters. Um, we can, we can do all kinds of things. We can, we can put her to sleep, um, you know, instantly or, or, you know, th so there's lots of ways to control the simulation. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm not worried in any way, um, about about that and i think you know that that is one of the key things is with machines in the future um absolutely they need to be in our control they absolutely have to um you know that's that, that's an essential part but if you if you think about people in society um in a way a government you know is, is trying to control society and we're we're and it's this cooperation of people is how do you manage how do you manage that and how will we manage that with machines and so, you know, I, I guess we have, you know, society, you know, we create laws, we create all kinds of ways to manage people. Um, and we will have to do the same types of things with machines. We will have to have, they have to be socialized and they will, they, I, I totally imagine there'll have to be lots of regulation. I think that's totally needs to happen completely across the board right now, you know, in, in terms of, um, you know, and we will see regulation of, of you know, some of these, uh, the, you know, the, the most dominant companies at the moment in the world. Um, you know, and they're even asking for regulation themselves because, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, I mean, th th these aren't, um, uh, 
you know, this this is just technology at the moment. But um, as it, as we progress, um, they'll be able to do more and more clever things. Um, and then, you know, the big fear of of I guess with artificial intelligence is that if you build something where it's trying to um, maximize an objective function, um, then then if you get that wrong, bad things can happen. And this is where I think with the ability to flexibly interact really matters more and more because with, you know, if a person, like for example, if you tell somebody to do a particular job and they go, okay, and they go off and they start doing it and you realize, oh no, they're going to set the house on fire, right? Or destroy humanity. As soon as you realize that, you quickly go, no, 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 I meant this, you know, that, and, and, but it requires communication, really quick communication to, to avert disaster. And the more we can communicate and influence things and see where things are going, then the more we can control that, you know, just avert those things. So I think it comes back to me, this all comes back to how flexible and how rapid is the feedback loop because because we're going to want to have machines do things efficiently for us but we need to make sure that it works in a human centric way yeah so i was going to say yeah human human centricity seems to be one of the principles that um not sure how familiar you are but there has been you know a few frameworks available around the world uh, giving some principles direction towards building AI and human centricity seems to be number one there when it comes to this because having a human in a loop means that you can monitor when things do go wrong, right? Yeah, and then you want to have the, you know, I guess, you know, our real focus has been incredibly human-centric because we're even building the machines to look like humans. Now, we're not trying to fool anybody with that, but we're trying to give the machines the expressive power of, of a person so that they can, so it's completely intuitive how they're communicating. It's sort of maximizing those computer channels, but the way that we're getting them to process as well as we're trying to, we're trying to build human-like simulations and human-like cognition, um, which is, you know, can be quite different. You can take a very sort of, um, excuse me, my phone's going off. Um, you can take a very objective way, you know, very computer science way of, of, of building some intelligence. Uh, we're trying to use nature as a template in what we're doing. We're trying to look at well, what happens in the human mind, you know, that, that enables us to do this and what's the biological basis for that. And we're trying to build those models in so that we have it's, it's, it's human centric from the very core in a way because we're trying to make it human like. Yeah. And so you were probably in a very good position to, you know, I mean, you're building quite something quite extraordinary here, uh, but it, it probably also gives you a very good perspective of what, um, you know, people have the power to be doing right now all around the world, people that have access to, um, you know, building this type of technologies, right? Does it worry you that, you know, when you spoke about regulation there, that there isn't, you know, we, we know that, you know, in terms of legal and um, sort of framework around this, we are still quite behind um, in general around the world. Does it worry you and what, what you think can be done? I think we have to use our imaginations a lot. I mean, there's, there's things like, for example, you know, the whole killer robot petition. It's like if you have a, a drone, an autonomous drone, which has got weapons on it, you know, that's just such a bad idea that what could possibly go wrong with that, you know, and, but the same sort of things as you have, you know, machines, which are like at the moment, the stock market, for example, can be crashed by all these machines because they, there's all these AI um, machines cal calculating bids and things. And there's almost like an arms race there. And, and if those things go wrong, they can shut down the economy. So, so we have a lot of things to be concerned about. Um, to me, the, I'm more concerned about things like, um, uh, you know, digital biology than I am about artificial intelligence. I think we can um, kill ourselves off a lot quicker with, um, with uh, you know, all kinds of biological um, experiments that, 
that you know people are doing um you know we just we, we at the moment we've got this pandemic because there's a, a tiny little ad, adaptation of something which has probably been around for a long time and and but we are now experimenting with some of those things and if those things get out well you know we may actually need artificial intelligence to save us from that stuff so it's a uh, it's you know we're in a world where i think the existential threat from um you know artificial intelligence is a ways off like quite a long way off but we can do really stupid things in the meantime like um you know um uh Put them in vital decision-making circuits which might fire a missile off or something like that and i think that's where you have to have a human in the loop you know oh this is the other absolutely key thing it's responsibility you the reason for having a human in the loop is because they are legally responsible for something going on and so if the operator for example makes a mistake then that operator is, is the person that's responsible. Now, with machines, you know, it, if you have an artificial intelligence algorithm, it should be the, the you know, there has to be a, a responsibility for that, if that's going to be used. And, you know, it's, it's like a, and this is, you know, one of the things that we've got at the moment with, you know, like, um, you know, companies like Facebook, it's like, um, you know, are they a publisher or not? Is that if somebody puts some bad video up on their site, are they responsible for that or not? And and you know, you know, there's a skirting around the law and all of that. And it's the same thing I think with response to any sort of decision making, is that the legal framework needs to be set up in a way where it builds responsibility, accountability, and explainability into the system. I think that's critical because otherwise you, people will just get away with anything. Now, unfortunately, we've kind of ended up in that situation a little bit at the moment with, with the, you know, the big data companies because we have companies that aren't accountable. Like, so, for, you know, they can do whatever they, they want um, and they're just beholden to their shareholders. And so we've put ourselves, the, the governments can't control some of the big companies, you know, so it's like a, it, it's like we've put ourselves in a, um, a, a situation where because of that accountability is, is very grey, then it can get abused. And, and in often cases, it's, it's, it's not intentionally abused, it's just ended up that way. And, we, you know, we saw those things with, you know, for example, in New Zealand, you know, the, um, the, the Christchurch um, you know, massacre and, and things like that suddenly go wildfire across the internet and they can't be shut down in time and all this type of stuff. And it's, it's like, um, you know, that's a, you know, the system, they never thought that live streaming and things like that would be used in that way. And yeah, we're still trying to catch up with that, right? Yeah. And so, you know, this is the... Um, I guess the, you know, the, and this is the importance of how do you, how, how would you, uh, it's good to think about how would you deal with that with, uh, if you took the technology out of the equation, who are the actors? You know, it's, it's the people behind the different pieces. And so, and so, um, uh, you know, but these, these are critical things to think about. I don't, don't know how, what the easy answers are, but, um, you know, they have to be factored in. And so these are exactly why we, do need to be talking about AI. We need to be talking about um, what my happiness. You know, it's it's it's. I think right now, uh, you know, the threat is 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 not super high, but it will be later. Inevitably, it will be as as we go into the future. It's going to become more and more um, critical to deal with. So I think it's a fantastic that people are actually, you know, like Leanne's film, you know, starting to bring that up now. Yeah. yeah, and if you think about, these are some, some of these questions we are already having to think about, right? I mean, we have, you know, incidents with, um, you know, uh, self-driving car, who is liable there, right? Is the company that designed the car, is the driver, right? So, and that's it's still not very clear. And we've, yeah. we've had scenarios where, you know, in, in Australia where, 
you know, a system was deployed and caused a lot of harm, the robot that case, you know, who is reliable that is the government that didn't do their homework is the company that sold the system, right? So these are all questions that I guess are still unfolding. Yes. I mean, they're, they're classic legal questions and, and, um, you know, until there's, there's real clarity of, on them, then because if the company is liable, then the company is going to put a lot more of its money in safeguarding things. If the, the driver's responsible, then they're going to think twice about which self-driving car that they buy, you know? So this is the thing is that where you put the responsibility, if you put it on the individual, the company or the government, it's responsibility that causes people to act. They don't, they can, otherwise you can be passive. And that's, that's, the, that's why it's so critical to figure out, you know, this in, in terms of the, of, the, of the AI chain. Yeah, and I think that leads us to even a bigger question, which was um, covered in the documentary as well. If, if we're building machines that can have consciousness, would they also have legal rights like we do, right? Can you sue a machine? You know, can you sue baby X if he doesn't behave accordingly, right? Yeah, it's, it's, and, you know, it comes down to, um, it's, there's some interesting, you know, ideas about, about consciousness and that um, in some ways, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, um, uh, I think Michael Pangrazio out of Princeton's got some really interesting ideas on, on consciousness and how, you know, and we project it. In, in, on different animals and, and how we can project, like, for example, he's, he even has a, you know, a suggestion that, you know, God is a projection of our consciousness onto the, onto the universe, effectively. So really interesting ideas. And, and it's like, um, so anyway, with that consciousness comes back uh, in terms of comes right back to free will and all the legal questions and, it, and it's like if it comes back again to responsibility so if we have a machine which is fully autonomous and it can so it can make its own decisions now whether or not it's conscious or not is another question but if if it can do that then and that machine is just doing its own thing then it's it's kind of it's it is responsible at a certain level. Now, I think about children's interesting because we we have children now. To a certain age, it's like the parent is responsible to, to the for the child until they're eighteen or something like that, you know. And after that, the child's responsible for themselves, you know. After they, even though you know the the reality of that is quite quite different how that works, but legally. Um, we'll probably have to do a similar thing so that you, if you're, a, for example, you have some artificial intelligence and you, you, it's, it's a, you're building it or training it or something like that, then you're responsible for it. Um, after a certain time, if it's out in the world, maybe it needs to be responsible for itself and it can be treated in that way. I don't know. These are fantastic questions. I haven't, um, you know, I haven't got, um, you know, uh, yeah, we all we are thinking about about them, right? That's yeah. Early stage, in a way. It, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating, and it's like you know, there's a whole. Um, we've put out, yeah, we've uh, we've been writing a, a a paper on the ethics of Baby X. So, with our company, we've been um, you know developing a very detailed ethical position um, on on what we're doing in our in our sort of more commercial work, but we're also on the, on the more philosophical side of things. We've been looking into the, you know, the ethics of baby X and, and, you know, there's so many layers and levels to, to this. It's like, for example, you know, um, if, if there's, uh, you know, like, like, for example, if somebody is, is mistreating, a digital being is that a you know is that a um you know is that wrong and 
the sort of idea is that yes, this is wrong because you are encouraging cruelty. Yeah. So if it has consciousness, you can assume it will be suffering, right? Just like a human yeah. would. Yes, and 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 there's a even though it may not be a it depends on the degree of sentience. But it's like if we, like in New Zealand, for example, I think we've got one of the the. The, the best laws on animal sentience. So it's like, you know, we basically assume that, yes, cows and sheep are sentient, which means that they're capable of experiencing suffering and, and, and feelings. And, and so it's like, but it's, I think the law is really focused on um, can a organism suffer? Can it experience suffering? And, and so, so in a digital model, it, you know, it may not be really suffering or whatever, but the social behavior which may cause somebody to interact with even a digital being and cause it to, to suffer in inverted commas is bad, right? It's, we would consider it bad because we would go, this person is being cruel. This is like for people that, you know, like people that hurt animals are typically not very nice people you know, because they may treat humans differently, but if they've got it in them to hurt animals, then, you know, then that's, we, we, most people wouldn't like that sort of person. And if you keep going, and even if it's not a, um, not a, a living thing, like if somebody, every time something upsets them, they get a hammer and they smash it or do something like that, even if it's just a television set, um, you would be concerned about that person. So there's these levels of, of how does it draw out a behavior, which is a moral behavior, you know, so, so uh, many, many layers. Essentially. And I commend you guys for thinking about these questions. Um, it's part of our work that we encourage companies to have these discussions and, and work internally on, you know, policies or, about what they're going to do when problems do arise and how they're going to mitigate that, right? Because I think when you are founder of a technology, you're very passionate about it, you're building, of course, uh, and there's various ways that that can be used, right? So, you know, it's a, it's a power where you're building there with baby X, it's obviously something quite powerful that can be used for good. It can you know, be incredible uh, for humanity, but it can now in, in wrong hands, uh, it can also be a disaster, right? Yeah. So you, I think it, there's a there's a real responsibility, absolutely, for this, and I think it's and you have to really start considering, you know, um, all of the yeah. I mean, it's it's really. I think the more you think about it, and the more you know, working with this type of technology puts you in situations where you might think about things which you know you hadn't before. It's it's so there's an evolution of of thought in this and it's an, it's an ongoing one and it's like a it's a really juicy one for for debate and in a way one of the motivations for for you know baby x to start with was um to basically explore um uh explore some of these issues in a way it's like okay there's a there's a there's a, a provocation here about well what if this then what does that mean and you know, so so it's a a vehicle to really touch on some of these issues. I mean, you know, the other you know thing which is I think really was a key motivation for Baby X for me was the reason we built it with kind of more physiological models is is that we're you know I'm really interested in in our own nature. It's like you know how do we tick? How can we explore some of these things further? What does it reveal about our nature? In, in, in these ways. And, and so it's like, you know, the combination of these factors um, really drives it because it's really a philosophy project more than anything else, I guess. Essentially, yes. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised that you, you probably receive a lot of, lot of different proposals for the use of application of baby X. Um, Rona, who is the founder of Effectiva, and it's been here to talk to us as well. She shares that, you know, she's building a technology for um, recognizing emotion, right? So, um, which, you know, it's being applied across different purposes for autism, um, you know, a lot of 
good purpose is there. Um, and she also shared that at some point on her journey, they've received the proposal to turn the technology for surveillance, right? Um, and it was a very tempting proposal because there was a lot of money involved, of course, for um, startups that do need funding. So, and that was the challenge. And one of the things that she shared was that they had to sit down and have that conversation early on about what they're going to do with that. Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, that's, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so what, what we've done with, with our company is, you know, in our constitution, it's like the technology is only to be used for socially positive purposes. Um, we've got a, you know, this entire ethics statement, we actually encourage lots of ethics discussion within the company. Um, we have a, an ethics board on our company. So we, we, we really, um, uh, you know, we have to, um, yeah, we, we really try to consider this holistically as, as we can. For people interested in finding you and more about soul machines, where can they find information? Yes, if they, they go to our website, soulmachines.com, and, and there's, I think all the contact information is on there. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Pleasure.